Listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 223. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. See us talk. Hey son, hey son, what gives? Oh, what? <laughs> well, uh, I've just I've just finished running 26.2 kilometers this morning whilst you were... What? I don't know what you were Are doing, Are you guys. out of your bloody mind? <laughs> Can't be healthy. Stop it. Stop well, it. Well, I... Yeah, I, don't worry, I'm not healthy. But I, I long wanted to run marathon and of course coronavirus hit, but I'm still training because fuck it, I'm, I'm going to do wow. it all by myself. Wow. That's very impressive. Okay, I, I've always admired people who decide to run. It's just something that I cannot... I, I once did it. For <laughs> some reason, I started... For some reason, I, I think I was 14 or 13 years old, and I decided to run, and I ran for six kilometers for the first time. <laughs> and I didn't feel too tired after the, afterwards, but the next day I was dying. And, 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 and you scenes. learned your lesson, and now you never run yes. again. <laughs> no, it's not. It probably not nothing to do with that uh, experience. But I just don't like running. It's oh, not for me. It's not for everyone. Yeah. yeah. No, it's my. I I, I like it. Um, it gets painful after kilometer number twenty, but uh, you know I still have to do <laughs> <Jesus> it. <Christ. laughs> that kilometer number twenty. Oh my god! If no. The, yeah, if the meter number twenty, I get tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> All right, good for you. I I used to cycle everywhere. Uh, that that I enjoyed very much. But uh, yeah, no. that you know, living in London was the best. That's what we did a lot of. But mm-hmm. Seattle is so hilly. You guys won't believe it. I've never seen hills like this in my <laughs> yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how are things other than running like crazy? <laughs> For you, Yelena? Oh, you know, same old, same old. Oh. Same shit, different day. <laughs> Talks about cancelling election, getting louder. You know, everybody's <laughs> kind of in this paranoid state. Oh, will he or will he not? No, he can't. Uh, we'll he see. Can't. He can't do it. It's, he, he doesn't... He'll find the way, Pontus. <laughs> well, he doesn't have the power to do it. Not yet. Yeah. No. Well, the thing is that everyone starts with not having too much power. And then they find a way <laughs> to gain that power. Yeah. I could tell you a lot of stories. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I'm sure you can, Viktor Orban. Yeah, mm, yeah. He didn't start out to uh, as a very powerful person. But no, he's become one. All right. Well, yeah, and there are dictatorships all over Europe now. Uh, one of them is Germany. What? Uh, <laughs> according to some, it's turning to a dictatorship because they they tell people what to do. Oh no! And the new thing is seems to be conspiracy theories, actually. Mm-hmm. But obviously, in times of crisis, there are much more prevalent things like conspiracy theories than in peacetime. But it's concerning, I think. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me of something. Did you see that very funny video on Twitter about the German trains passenger announcement? I, I saw it just before we. Uh, I called you now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, a, a Swiss professor in Lausanne who goes by the name uh, Marcy Salate retweeted a video recorded by a certain Sabine Leidig uh, on a Deutsche Bahn service. Uh, between Berlin and Bern. 
And he was kind enough to add an English commentary. So this is how I came across it. And I went on asking our lovely friend Annika to, to translate the whole recording. And what's funny about the PA is that they use the same logic conspiracy theorists usually apply in their arguments about, well, everything. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let me read you Annika's translation of the passenger announcement. I, I think it's hilarious. Sure. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You can buy masks in our onboard bistro in coach number 25. And for every conspiracy theorist on the train, please remember that the government is secretly collecting samples of your saliva to clone you and substitute you. <laughs> so to keep them from getting your DNA, wear your mask at all times. Thank you very much. Also in the name of everyone who travels with us today. <laughs> I like That's that hilarious. a lot. Isn't that, that hilarious? Not very often that you can see uh, a government that has sense of humor. Well, I mean, and, uh, probably never, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think it has anything to do with the government. I think it's just Deutsche Bahn or, or even... Okay, well, or, or you know, the, the, the public service. <laughs> that one train conductor, probably. <laughs> I don't know how effective it might be, but, but it certainly is a unique idea. And, and of course, I, yeah, the link, the link will be shared on, on our webpage, of course. And uh, I'd like to, to thank especially Annika for, for the translation. <laughs> but I think we have a show to deliver, so... Let's crack on with that. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Yelena, what significant event can be mentioned on this week in skepticism? I, I we talk about it now and again. It's it's not going to be sort of a particularly new type of person, but I want to talk about a uh, psychic, oh. somebody who was born in uh, Dordrecht, Netherlands, Peter Hurkos, Peter van der Hurk. He was born on uh, 21st of May 1911 in Netherlands, and he actually subsequently uh, immigrated to America where he died. And he allegedly manifested extrasensory perception. Oh! Mm. Anyway. ESP. Mm. ESP. <laughs> exactly. I don't think we've ever mentioned ESP things <laughs> on the ESP podcast. I mean, what the fuck? But anyway, so now I'm mentioning. <laughs> Ticking so many boxes over here. <laughs> so... He claimed to be a psychic like so many people uh, have claimed. But what I lo absolutely loved about his story is how he got to be a psychic, how he became a psychic. He used to be uh, a Dutch house painter. So, you know, just like a normal working person. And then <laughs> in 1941, he took a course. He fell off a uh, tumbling four stories of a ladder landing on his head so he fell off the ladder landing on his head oh yeah <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. upon uh, regaining i'm quoting from los angeles times article upon regaining consciousness four <laughs> days later four days fucking later wow anyways he said he possessed psychic powers an ability to see into the future to exercise artistic and musical talents he had never exhibited before and to trace missing persons by psychometrizing psychometrizing I don't know. <laughs> or turning into the psychic vibrations by touching clothing and other personal possessions, end quote. Not that. Jesus freaking quote. Are you kidding me? Is that Was that supposed to be... <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a telling thing? You fell off the freaking ladder, you hurt her head, and all of a sudden you're a psychic. Anyway. Don't, don't try that at home, folks. 
Yeah, one would think that by nineteen the 1940s, it was quite obvious to everyone that if, if you hit your head against something and uh, then weird things start to appear in your behavioral patterns, then uh, yeah. the two have something to do with each other. <laughs> Listen, it's it's beyond my, obviously, you know, it's... Um... But he's he's claimed uh, quite a notoriety. Did uh, did a good old Peter, uh, and his ability to so-called uh, ability, this psychometrizing ability, turning their psychic vibrations by touching clothing and other personal possessions. He managed to insert himself into the helping police uh, to investigate uh, detective work, and of course that gave him even more notoriety in his shows where he could mention these these things. But let me just let me just mention he's been involved actually in in few really big cases at the time. So the Manson's case, the murders of the Manson uh, family he's been involved in, uh, where he kept changing his uh, vision of who the killer, what the killer looked like, whether he was brown head or blonde head or whatever, so that he was covering his bases so that he can claim that he was right. And he was also involved uh, in a famous case of a Boston strangler in America, the murder of 13 women. The guy who was subsequently arrested because he confessed was the guy called Alberto de Salvo. So the, the authorities, uh, they couldn't catch this guy for, for a very long time. And he's obviously been raping and strangling these poor women, 13 of them. And, and so they got so desperate, they employed Peter Hurkos as, as the psychic to help them. I don't, I don't have the exact description of that he given to the police, but what was established later, none of the descriptions he provided in his psychic visions to the police <laughs> matched to anything that Albert de Salver ended up being. Well, so so you know what he did, what Peter did. But he still took credit, right? Uh, no, no, you, he, he did even uh, one better than this. He said, uh, "Well, Albert de Salver is not the killer." The true killer is still out there and he looks the way I said he looks. <laughs> so, you know, the nerve on this guy, I tell you that, he, he had to have a whole lot of confidence. So, uh, and then at some point in his career, he, he also pronounced he was super happy to uh, be prodded and tested by scientists. Well, of course, that was not the case at all. He was only obviously giving a lip service to this so that he's seen as a, a authentic psychic. And uh, the only person who was able to test him was Charles Tart from University of California. And that was only one time and his tests were negative. And so, you mm. know, who else wanted to test him, of course, is James Randi. But he couldn't because he didn't agree on, on doing this. But then Randy commented after this uh, negative test done by Charles Tart saying, uh, I quote, if Tart can't find such powers, they certainly aren't there, end quote. So, you know, mm. uh, he, he obviously wrote a bunch of books about his abilities and uh, psychic powers in general. He did lots of seances. Nothing in his biography was particularly unique. He, he he used cold reading, claiming that he can uh, see certain things, you know, uh, starting his seances with something very, very general, like, oh, there was an operation. And then if person doesn't re react, he goes, a long time ago, a very long time. So he could just keep, it's not original. It's not like, it's not, I'm not entertained. And it's just the fact that he fa fallen off the ladder and fitted our deadline would kind of entertain me a little bit. And I thought it, it will entertain you too. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there we go. Do you know anything about his name change? Why Why did he change his name? Well, I wonder if when he moved, um, he initially moved to America to do some psychic research. Uh, he was actually invited there. I wonder if when he moved there and then subsequently became a citizen, he changed it then. I don't know. Yeah. 
It doesn't to, to a funny a name that sounds very funny to me or Lucas is very funny to me because uh, I, I cannot help but read it in Hungarian because it kind of makes sense in Hungarian Hurkosh <laughs> and it means looped looped or something with yeah. loops Interesting. so <laughs> if I make loopy out of it then it makes a lot of sense <laughs> I think Peter so loopy. I think so we, sh- we shall do we shall conclude on that <laughs> it is a bit loopy I, I would say oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right thank you very much Yelena all right. that was a good one finally an ESP story on the ESP <laughs> it took only 223 episodes somewhat related yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a lot of extrasensory and sensory perceptions going on in uh, the Catholic Church. So mm-hmm. I think, Pontus, it's time for you to poke the Pope. <laughs> yes, finally. Had to give it a miss last week. So uh, have quite, oh, yeah. uh, we have quite a few things to um, talk about the Catholic Church uh, now. And uh, the first thing is about a guy that are beginning to be a well-known character for our regular listeners. This is Cardinal Robert Sarah, the cardinal from Guinea in West Africa. He was the guy who authored the book earlier this year together with Benedict XVI. This was the book that celebrated celibacy and which some assume led to that Pope Francis didn't support the proposed relaxed rules regarding celibacy in the Amazon. Now, it seems that uh, Robert Sarah is challenging Francis again, this time by signing a petition. You may recall that uh, the Italian bishops have voiced their opposition towards the quarantine rules. And this petition is uh, written by the Archbishop of Italy, Carlo Maria Vigano, who in 2013 called for Francis to resign. So this is an old enemy of Francis who wrote this petition. And the petition says that the quarantine imposed around the world is a pretext to control people through panic and deprive them of fundamental freedoms, including freedom of worship. But the plot thickens. Sarah went out on Twitter the following day and claimed that he had not signed it after all which leaves everybody very confused. But it's part of the intrigues of the opposition to Francis, and I'm sure we haven't heard the last of it. Uh, But it's interesting because Cardinal Sarah is viewed as one of the top 10 candidates to be Francis' successor eventually. And if so, he would be the first non-white pope ever. He is also known to be in cahoots with Benedict XVI, So um, we'll see what happens next regarding that. The next item I have is a new authorized biography about Benedict, which has been published in Germany by a person very close to him. It's a journalist called Peter Seewald. And I, I obviously haven't read it since it's in German, but apparently it is a real treasure. It contains Benedict's view that the Catholic Church is threatened by worldwide dictatorship of seemingly humanist ideologies. He cited same-sex marriage, abortion, and the creation of humans in the laboratory, (laughs) whatever that is. He's also very upset, this is Benedict, he's very upset about the LGBT movement and especially gay weddings, which is an invention by the Antichrist, 
Uh, here's a quote. 100 years ago, everybody would have considered it to be absurd to speak of homosexual marriage. Today, one is being excommunicated by the society if one opposes it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, that's progress, old man. Uh, and there's also allegations. Long in overdue. The, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there's also allegations in the book that uh, his opponents have tried to silence him. Poor old Popey. And this is still an authorized biography, so uh, we should assume that he still stands for those views. Uh, and by the way, this is the guy who said when he resigned as a pope that he would be, quote, un invisible to the world, unquote, after his retirement, but uh, not so much. More, more and more, I think Benedict is getting to be a headache for, for Francis. And uh, one more thing that Francis will have to deal with somehow. Yeah. So that's one thing. I have a, a few more things uh, since it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, the next news is about Cardinal Pell and a scandal keeps delivering. A report from 2017 that has been kept confidential not to influence the trial against uh, Pell has now been made available. And it proves that just like we knew all along, that Pell absolutely knew, without a doubt, that he was covering up sex abuse and protecting sex abusers when he was involved in reassigning uh, pedophiles in the church. Among them, Gerald Ridsdale, described as Australia's worst pedophile priest ever. And of course, Pell has always claimed that he was lied to and deceived and he had no idea about the charges of sex abuse when he approved these transfers. Oh, yeah, but in course. fact, he was very much a part of it. And you know what? Mm. He might have gone away with uh, his own sex abuse charges, mm. but I think he should be prosecuted for this one. Yeah. Because Why is that not happening? I wonder. I don't know. Uh. And he was completely covering that up. Yeah. And... It should not be something that he gets away with. Yeah, right. I fully agree. So one last thing here, uh, closer to Francis himself, because COVID-19, it seems, is bad for business. And not just for secular business, but also for the Catholic Church. The Holy See, which of course is the heart of the Catholic Church, is now expected to make a loss of about 160 million euro in 2020 due to Ooh. reduction of in donations and uh, poor things poor things yeah no no money it's a combination of course of people having less money to spend to give to the catholic church but it's also because of the fact that we have talked about earlier and that is that peter spence the big donation fund has been used in the past to cover expenses within the administration of the Holy See instead of going to the poor as advertised. Mm. So that, of course, means uh, people are not as inclined to give. And this loss now of 160 million euro means that the Holy See have lost half of its budgeted income for 2020. Ooh. Could it be that because when you're exposed for stealing money from the poor... Plus, not being able to do anything to help everybody against the big plague, people are not so inclined to send you money anymore. Yeah, 
they probably <laughs> just have yes. figured out that it's all, it's all there are much much more important things to spend that money on yeah this is all a fraud people yeah. catholic church is a fraud you know what i do have a feeling that they still won't go bankrupt just yet oh they have coffers Bank- to to dig into if needed but still yeah <laughs> they will they will survive for long and uh, I'm pretty sure that it's, uh, the Vatican is one of those countries that could do without that income for a long, long time, even years. Mm, mm. Not many countries can tell that mm. about themselves. Mm. All right. Well, thank you very much, Pontus. Mm, thank for you. poking the Pope once again. And let's see what's going on with uh, COVID-19, because it has been a while since we talked about that specifically. Well, I think we all agree that Europe is uh, quite eager to get back to business as usual. Uh, It's not an easy decision to make, though. Some countries like France, Austria, Slovenia and Slovakia, just to mention a few, are already at a point in their local epidemic that they are now considering lifting some of the restrictions, including the reopening of their borders. Some airlines even recently announced their resuming service on major routes as well. At least... That means we'll have better weather forecasts. What? (laughs) Have you noticed how (laughs) shitty the weather forecasts have become since the lockdown? It's because all the (laughs) contrails are no longer changing the weather. No, but that's serious stuff. Uh It's because those... But have you noticed anything like that? No, no, I haven't actually. I have. It's basically a standing joke about uh, how shitty the weather forecast is uh, here now that uh, it's completely unreliable now. So it's because those flying things, the airplanes, I mean, <laughs> are uh, <laughs> equipped with uh, differential pressure gauges called pitot tubes. And because usually there are thousands of them up in the air of these uh, airplanes, at any one moment, they provide the most important indication of high altitude winds that determine the movement of clouds, among many other factors. Ah. Obviously, it's not the only way as to provide a weather forecast, as there are satellite and radar images and, and lots of different measurements as well on the ground, for example. And uh, some weather balloons can be can be sent up, but it's quite limited compared to all the, the airplanes that are usually up in the air. How interesting. I had no idea about this. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating, I think. Yeah. So it's crucial for accurate weather forecasts. So pollution will be back to normal, unfortunately, but at least weather forecasts <laughs> too. <laughs> all right. It's an, an unintended consequences, you know, what other things yeah. being fucked up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And people started considering that only when the planes, most of the planes became grounded. And uh, they, they noticed that uh, they don't have enough uh, data to predict the weather as accurately as they used to. Huh. But going back to the fact that countries are opening up, Slovenia was the first a uh, couple of days ago to announce that the health crisis in their country is now over. So the first steps are being made to return back to their normal lives or or something like that. Because everywhere... We are being reminded that a relapse, a second wave, or however you want to call it, is imminent and we should all be ready for it. So we need to be careful. We need to take all the precautions we can and try to avoid contact with other people if possible. And it is definitely so until a viable vaccine is available to all. Mm. But when that happens is the question of the century. And the amount of science that goes into that is mind-blowing. 
But there are countries where some weird stuff is going on. One example is the Czech Republic, where not everyone agrees it's the right people overseeing the research. Our listener, Pavel, who's also the only currently active Czech Wikipedia editor in Susan's Guerrilla Skeptics team, uh, sent this to us on Twitter. Thanks for that, by the way. And I also contacted Claire to clear up a few things. So, it seems like the team assembled to find a cheap and quickly available vaccine for the Czech Republic and the Czech people within a few months, uh, which I have to say is an unrealistic goal in in and of itself, is set out to develop that vaccine independently from international research. Hmm. At first they said the researchers would do this in their own free time for free, but then a few dozen million Czech crowns were reported to have been allocated to the project. But, as the Czech Learned Society pointed out, this is a ridiculous attempt to pull on the the nationalistic strings built on the great achievements of Czechoslovakian researchers back in the day in developing vaccines against common diseases. And they also mentioned how unrealistic it is to find a cure with limited resources available in a small country in the middle of Europe, while on the same day as the launch of the project was announced, the report came out that the European Union had allocated a sum of 7.4 billion euros to vaccine research. Mm, some competition there. <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> it's a little bit more realistic when it comes to large-scale research projects and funding them because yeah, research is not cheap. It's not it, it, it doesn't come in your free time and definitely not within such a short uh, amount of time. But the fun doesn't stop there. <laughs> Health Minister Adam Wojtek and Vera Adamkova, who's the head of the Institute of Clinical and Experimental Medicine, one of the three institutions involved in the project, they rejected these criticisms and said that everyone is free to conduct their own research, so shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, dummy, but you know science is done best when we join efforts. Mm. It's an international endeavour. And there is a reason for that. Part of it is finance and financial difficulties that you may encounter. And the other thing is that the expertise that you can gather by an international collaboration is much better. It's a much higher level of research that you can conduct. Of course. But they seem to know better, <laughs> these Czech politicians. Well, if they if they succeed, I'm the first to congratulate them. That's great. Well, but the problem is it, is it seems to be a bit of a trademark for the Babish administration, yeah, yeah. especially when it comes to healthcare. Mm, okay. This is why they got the Golden Boulder Award from the Czech skeptic organization Sisyphus Ooh, did they? in 2018 for, and I quote, blabbering and spreading stupidity in health and science. Hmm. So it was her and the Prime Minister, among others. Important fact, before getting the prestigious award for idiots, Vera Adamkova had self-identified as a homeopath. Hmm. (laughs) Cherry on top. No surprise there. (laughs) So yeah, no wonder she talks rubbish, but what is she doing leading a research team to develop vaccines? Hmm. A bit of a mystery there. Hmm. Anyhow, research is definitely going on with massive resources allocated to it worldwide. So when it comes to possible future restrictions, the problem is that rules are already causing a lot of trouble because people feel their human rights are being violated by the restrictions in place, so it won't be easy to convince them that in the not-too-distant future, new rules might be implemented. Lots of people cry dictatorship and claim that this whole thing is about controlling the crowds. 
These people fail to see how difficult it was to control the crowds in some countries when the most important thing to do would have been to stay the fuck <laughs> home. Never mind that. Mm. Once a conspiracy found its way into someone's head, it's not easy to draw it out. This is why countering content like the pseudo documentary Plandemic, featuring a former researcher turned conspiracy theorist Judy Mikovic, is a hard nut to crack. Did you see that? I haven't seen it. It's hard to see nowadays because it's yes. been taken down a lot of the time. But I've heard of it, of course. Yes. Basically, all the major video sharing sites and social media platforms have now taken it down. Uh, but due to the nature of conspiracy thinking, actually, this is like fuel to the already raging fire mm. of, of these new anti-conspiracy movements. Or should I call them conspiracies? Anti-conspiracy conspiracies. <laughs> there is, however, an upliftingly large number of uh, articles published internationally debunking Plandemics' claims, uh, shedding some light on how she had a faulty piece of research published in the journal Science, which, instead of boosting her career, as expected, ended up ruining it. And, as we often say, there are few things more dangerous, at least when it comes to spreading misinformation, than a disappointed or even hurt scientist. Because... Mm. They know how to argue for even the stupidest ideas and still sound like making sense. Mm. A well-known example of that is uh, obviously Andrew Wakefield. They build on their scientific authority and, and their clever comebacks. But really, an international community of skeptics have done a great job refuting the claims of this woman. But in my opinion, probably the best approach is to, instead of debunking the claims inoculating people like in a vaccine for for the public to be able to assess themselves how invalid those claims are and that approach is uh, represented by a brilliant team we hear a lot of these days two of them have already been on this show uh john cook and sander van der linden so as usual they teamed up with steven lewandowski and ulrich ecker to demonstrate conspiratorial thinking based on examples from the video uh, we link to the video they made and the explanations and figures they used can be found on crankyuncle.com, but uh, we'll link to that too. So they came up with a list of traits, seven to be precise, that are telltale signs of conspiratorial thinking. One, contradictory. Conspiracy theories have a tendency to contradict one another, but this doesn't matter as long as they all disbelieve the, the so-called official account. The second is overriding suspicion. That is a trait that no matter how strong the scientific evidence is, if it doesn't fit the conspiracy theory, it can only be fake, according to the conspiracy theorists. Uh, the third is nefarious intent. Mm. So no motivation behind a presumed conspiracy can be anything but nefarious, of course. Mm. The fourth point is something must be wrong. So, you know, that spooky thing that is the suspicious attitude that even if some of specific ideas become untenable, there is something in the background that just doesn't click. So that's suspicious. It, it doesn't work like it should. Number five is persecuted victim. Someone got hurt. In this case, it, it's Judy Mikovic. And it doesn't matter that it's only their pride. <laughs> this is how they pose as victims of the system. An organized persecution is, is what's going on. The sixth is immune to evidence, as, it, as they call it. So obviously, anything that counters their beliefs is part of the conspiracy. That's obvious. And the seventh is reinterpreting randomness. So there are many random occurrences in any given complex situation. I think we can agree on that. Not for a conspiracy theorist, though. It is all part of the conspiracy and all deliberate, according to them, planned by nefarious agents. So 
you might have noticed uh, the titles of the subsequent points sometimes sound a bit off, but I believe it had something to do with the fact that the initial letters make up the word conspire. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that makes it somewhat difficult to translate, but I do encourage everyone to do the translation. It's good stuff based on extensive research, and it could not be more timely. Thanks to the Cranky Uncle team. Mm. And we should all do whatever we can to inoculate our followers, listeners and readers, and give them ammunition to do that with their loved ones as well. Yeah. Because the number of conspiracy theories spreading across the, the ether is just very unsettling. Yeah, so, it's accelerating. I mean, you, uh, there's a new one every day now. Yeah, it is. Uh, there is, yeah. All right. So it's time for us to have a look at what's been going on in the last two weeks across Europe. So, in other news, Russia is number two in the world in total cases of coronavirus. No, I'm not surprised. I, I was actually looking at Russia and I'm thinking, huh, well, they're doing pretty well. So, they've been doing really well for the past several weeks. And then, boom. Okay, anyways, no surprise there. Bit it's late a, to the party, yeah. It's a huge country. It was bound to happen. Moscow is huge. Metros is the, obviously, petri dishes of germs and things and things spreading and i don't think they were worried for a while and have you guys heard of those three doctors that fell fallen off the buildings and died well two of them died one of them didn't oh, die yes. accidentally yes. accidentally in the inverted comma accidentally <laughs> anyway poor doctors but so yeah russia has got 281,752 cases as compared to the number one of course is united states which is fair enough one and a half million cases and now Spain is is number three, so they're moving down the ladder. But so actually, what happened? What's happening in in Russia in parallel to this? Um, unfortunately, they suspended all um, vaccination regimes for a while. The the suspension announcement came in March, and then um, they've kind of reverted the, this whole uh, announcement. But it's it, it it has been it has been suspended for for a few weeks now. And what of course happened is some of the diseases and uh, measles that Pontus reported on so often, uh, and we've been following for a while. Um, the, the cases of measles increasing um, and there were dozens of measles cases reported in St. Petersburg, which is the second biggest city in Russia, I believe. Mm. So 46 measles cases have been registered, including 30 cases in children under 17 years of age. It is a super contagious disease, so it will spread like a wildfire. Is stopping vaccination and the vaccination is the only way to deal with it so once you're vaccinated you you're free to roam and the uh, vaccination rate has to stay stable at uh, pontus back me up here 93 percent 95 95 yeah 95 percent so suspending it most definitely decreased uh the the vaccination rate dramatically yeah. so then they now uh backtracking and backpedaling but i think the damage has been done and um there'll be repercussions russia actually is not the only country that did suspend the, the mandatory vaccinations so we probably will hear more about other 
outbreaks uh, around the world of the uh, vaccine preventable diseases. Mm, wow. Yeah, we will have to do a, a, a follow up on the measles situation once one of these days. Yeah. Exactly. What the, so you still have your old numbers, Pontus. You could maybe do some comparison. Yeah, the last time I looked, uh, I, I think it was about a month ago, it didn't look too bad, actually. Uh, the number of right, cases right. worldwide had gone down quite a lot. But we will make a deep dive in that uh, one of these weeks. It sounds really terrible, but it'll be a breath of fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So there's no doubt that the so-called Swedish strategy uh, has stirred up quite a lot of uh, tension and controversy abroad. Sweden has not gone down into full lockdown. It hasn't closed the schools. It has left the hairdressers' establishments open, for one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, they've left the limit of uh, gatherings to uh, 50 people. You can still, or 49 to be exact, you can still meet 49 people uh, without breaking any regulations. And it hasn't severely limited the rules for traveling. However, of course, all the other countries are closed. So where, where can you go? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah. But the number of deaths in relation to the population are now, at the time of this recording, the highest in the EU. Although uh, they have never been anywhere close to peaks of Italy, Spain, Belgium, France and the UK. But apparently it's not doesn't seem to be going too too well. And also now, even apparently the Minister of Health, Lena Hallengren, has admitted that the strategy has failed. Or has she? Oh. The answer is uh, yes, no, maybe, and of course it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit more complicated than that. It's a regular politician. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the wonderful world of skepticism where the answer is never black or white. Uh, so the story of the Swedish strategy is rather complex and I'm sure there will be books written about it in the future and I, I don't think you can make a proper deep analysis at this point but I won't try that. So, but uh, one thing is clear, uh, there is one area where the number of deaths seems to have been much higher than expected in Sweden and that is when it comes to the homes for, uh, for the elderly. Otherwise, I must say, it seems to have been fine if you compare it to other countries. And what the minister was referring to a couple of weeks back when she said that Sweden has failed was in relation to the retirement homes. It wasn't anticipated that the virus would get into the retirement homes to the extent that it has. And of course, when it does, it leads to a lot of deaths because, you know, there's a lot of old people there and they are vulnerable. And I'm pretty sure uh, that Sweden has done well apart from this. So um, closing the schools and the gyms and the hairdressers wouldn't have influenced the deaths in the retirement homes very much. But keeping schools in school meant that uh, parents who happen to work in healthcare have been able to continue to do so. So that's a good thing. Uh, but apparently the recommendations given to the retirement homes on how to make sure that the older people don't get infected have either been too loose or they haven't been followed or maybe both. Mm -hmm. So there's also a question if the numbers can be compared between 
different countries because both Sweden and Belgium, who are also very high, they have reported all COVID-19 related deaths in retirement homes as part of the pandemic. Other countries have chosen not to do so at all. And in other countries, it's been up to the physician to uh, classify if a certain death of a person is... If you, you take a person who has both COVID and another underlying disease and then dies... Did that person die from COVID or for, from the other disease? It depends how you look at it. Yeah. So if you don't have clear rules for how you should report it, it's up to each uh, doctor to, to decide how to do that. Yeah. But if, you, if we go back to the implied question, if the politicians in Sweden has failed, that's also complex because the role of Swedish politicians is a bit different than in many other countries. There are strict regulations against government ministers dictating how administrative authorities should perform their tasks. It's actually, to a large part, forbidden to do so. The role of the government and the parliament is to make sure that there are enough resources, but not to specify too much Uh, how services are actually performed. That's for the experts to decide in Sweden. But what does it mean when the health minister, uh, Lena Hallengren, says that we, quote-unquote, have failed to protect the elderly? And that is what she said. She didn't say the total strategy had failed. What she meant was that she was very unhappy with the outcome in the retirement homes. It was worse than expected. She didn't actually blame the health authorities and she didn't mean that the government must have done something terribly wrong and, and should resign. What she meant was that it was unexpected and of course very unfortunate and we must learn and evaluate what was wrong in the underlying assumptions. And I understand how this is maybe perceived differently abroad. Uh, in Sweden we are actually used to politicians admitting to that things are not perfect and that Thus, we don't take that as they have to resign everybody immediately. It's quite yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually quite a good thing that they are allowed to say, "Hey, this wasn't quite good. We have to do better, and we will change this and this and this." But I think abroad, a lot of people actually want to hear that the Swedish model was wrong. Yes, because otherwise they have been suffering from lockdown for no good reason. Exactly, that's right. <laughs> that's a terrible thought. And um, <laughs> in the future, when all this is over, we will have future analysis. We will know if Sweden was wrong or right in its approach in certain aspects. But I think it's too early to tell. And I think this is it's a good thing with Sweden, if I may defend it for a second. When. Whether the strategy failed or not, it wasn't because unqualified politicians messed things up. It was because the best experts that we had in the land failed to do the right thing. And I'd rather still want to put my bet on the best experts in the land than on opportunist politicians who don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I absolutely agree with you, uh, Pontus. Unfortunately, the Swedish model has been hijacked by some of the radical right in America to say, hey, look at this, Sweden, Sweden is doing okay. <laughs> yes, but, but not, right. not even only in America, mm. all, yeah. across, all across Europe. It's been misrepresented. And uh, I have to say that not only uh, for right-wing populists, uh, media outlets do that. Mm. I found a couple of uh, the left-wing media outlets uh, making the mistake as well. In their defense, I have to say that when they realized that it was a mistake, then they they corrected it. 
So they corrected it into uh, the health minister only claiming that defending the elderly people in care homes against the virus has failed or didn't go as planned. But at first it really sounded like, oh yeah, we failed. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. But uh, I, Pontus, mm-hmm. have you heard anything about or anyone expressing this openly that the, the strategy is to kind of get some sort of a herd immunity in Sweden where enough people had it so that the country can kind of function normal, etc. No, actually, that's a bit confusing because the, the health authorities are saying, are denying that they are going for herd immunity. They are saying right. we are we are just going to flatten the curve as much as we can without hurting right. the public community too much. So that work, work, but it makes sense. Walking a balancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense because we still don't know for sure. If mm-hmm. no, there no, is an acquired immunity yeah. by going through the the, yeah. the illness, yeah. so mm-hmm. it's still up for debate, and it's still not clear whether yeah. it happens. No, so we cannot build on that. Obviously, uh, we cannot build on something that we have no idea mm. uh, about. But uh, I probably will sound a bit sentimental. But if I were a Swedish person right now, I would be very proud <laughs> to be Swedish. Well, yeah. Well, you can join us, I guess. I mean, <laughs> come on, come Go on Sweden. over. You know what? I wouldn't think of it too much if the opportunity <laughs> presented itself. Well, but do it quickly because sooner or later we're going to throw Hungary out of the EU and then you can't move to Sweden. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And you know, I've got a couple of friends of mine who live in Stockholm. They've been there for six or seven years. And one of them is a, an engineer and the other one is a doctor. Hmm. And they are considering moving home. What? Oh. <laughs> to Hungary? What the fuck for? <laughs> uh, yes, 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 to oh. Hungary. Wow. Okay. You know, they're very sociable people and, uh, you know, they, they miss their friends, their families and everyone. So I, I totally understand that. But uh, yeah. as a country to live in, yeah. there's a huge difference. Anyhow, talking about Hungary. Yes. <laughs> Well, I I don't think it really comes as a surprise, as a surprise when when I criticize the actions of the Hungarian government, right? Mm. No. Well, what <laughs> what have they done this time? But I've, I've, well, you know that Orbán is is now preparing to give his absolute power back to Parliament, just mm. to pose as the greatest living democrat on the face of the earth. But this week they announced a few of the latest decrees to show that he's using his powers very unwisely. Among those latest decisions are financial resources allocated to setting up a new traditional Chinese medicine center unit at Samoais University of Medicine. <sighs> well, oh. we're talking about a sum of 17 million euros sake. for this project, one-sixth of which will be paid this year. All this happens while the economy is in ruins. And Where the fuck is the money coming from, tell me? Oh, well, oh. I don't know. Part of it is probably coming from the EU, actually. Yeah, must be. But yeah. wait for it. Mm-hmm. Because hundreds of thousands of people have lost their regular income. Uh, some estimates put it to millions out of 10 million people living in the country. We don't know much about this project, only that it's not accurate to say it's an initiation of the TCM unit, because it already started back in 2017 with much less funding, I have to say. A few months after the announcement was made that a large TCM center would be built. That was back in 2016. There are two ways this is very discomforting. One is that they turned the most prestigious medical university of the country into a house of quackery. Mm. The other 
is the fact that behind all this lies the fact that Orban's government is becoming closer and closer tied to the Chinese regime of Xi Jinping. Hmm. The latest news revealed that before the announcement was made about this project of 70 million euros being spent on TCM, Orban was on the phone with the Chinese president, thanking him for the help with tackling COVID-19, and they agreed on some upcoming projects, one of which is building the Belgrade-Budapest railway line, which is worth 1.7 billion euros. Guess what? 85% of that will be financed by a loan from the Chinese government. (gasps) Bloody hell. No way. China bought bought Hungary. Wow. Exactly. This is why it's done. (laughs) You see the pattern. No wonder some EU leaders called Orbán's Hungary China's doorstep into Europe. (laughs) And, oh. and it's done through quackeries, through all that. The Chinese government is propagating TCM everywhere that, that, that they can. Mm. Uh, obviously, that was the reason for WHO adopting that fucking thing yeah. last year. And they got criticized for it big time. Uh, some people even go as far as to say that it might be partially blamed traditional Chinese medicine for this whole COVID-19 pandemic. Not directly, uh, and it's more more like speculation, but I don't think it's too far-fetched. And China is not putting the foot in the door, and if it turns out that this particular investment will be done using the money that we got from the EU as a COVID-19 relief, well... <laughs> Better start learning Chinese, all I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's very discomforting. Yeah, it's it's not a good time to live in Hungary right now for a skeptic. <laughs> I said, come on over. Okay. <laughs> well, when do I leave? Well, uh, <laughs> whenever you can. Whenever you can travel, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, I'm going to talk about 5G uh, in the EU because there are some uh, worrying developments. We've all heard about the stupid theories regarding 5G. Uh, The conspiracy followers keep on fighting on several fronts in several countries now, and and, and lately they are coming up with a number of legal cases to stop 5G deployment. (laughs) On the 23rd of May, there is a big fundraiser starting in the UK starting to uh, a legal case against 5G. The conspiracy nuts um, have gone all uh, in here under the name Legal Action Against 5G. And they have recruited a famous star lawyer called Michael Mansfield to represent them against the UK authorities for allowing this threat to the public health, uh, to the environment and to, quote unquote, all biological life. Uh, So that's going on in the UK. So it's now about saving the whole planet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In the Netherlands, uh, a group calling itself Stop 5G NL on the 4th of May went to court in an effort to stop the nationwide rollout of 5G there. They claim that the government is taking a gamble by sanctioning the rollout, even though it hasn't been established that the technology doesn't form any risk to the public health. We have the same situation in France as well. There is a movement there. There is a petition that collects signatures to stop 5G. It currently has 80,000 names on it, trying to persuade the French government to stop 5G because it hasn't been proved, quote unquote, safe. Well, 
Let me tell you, it hasn't been shown to be harmful, and there's no theoretical and physical reason to think it would be, so what the hell do you want? Then we have a fundraising going on in Denmark for a lawsuit, uh, and that has actually been gone on since last year, very similar to the others. They're going to sue the government for rolling out 5G. And in Norway, just last Saturday, an organization calling itself the People's Radiation Protection uh, took out full-page ads in several newspapers calling for a stop for all wireless communication altogether, not just 5G. Oh, wow. (laughs) Saying that the science is saying that it is not safe. So it's really important right now that we try to meet all of these actions uh, from the anti 5G people because they are really mobilizing and it's all fear-mongering about what they perceive as new, invisible and uh, something that is coming to them without their control. I'm a bit worried. This Michael Mansfield guy looks very impressive. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's got some, some very famous cases. So very much so. The Mohammed Al-Fayed in the inquest into the death of his son, Dodi Al-Fayed, Diana, Princess of Wales. Yeah. There's all sorts of things. It's a real catch for for the 5G conspiracy nuts. Why why did he agree to this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. But but the thing is that when things are new and invisible and you can't control it, it makes it very scary. So I can understand people being worried if they don't understand the science behind it. The problem is it's so easy for them to claim that it must be proven safe first because it can't be done scientifically you can't prove a negative you can't prove that something doesn't exist in this case uh, the danger exists you can't prove that unicorns does not exist you can only say that we haven't seen them yet maybe there are someone somewhere (laughs) and this is the same argument we haven't seen any danger from 5g or other non-ionizing radio waves Uh, science therefore concludes that it is uh, it's safe but the other side says, ah, but you haven't proved that it's safe. No, but there is no, there are no well-controlled tests that have found any danger with it either. So what do you want us to do? Yeah, and it's not plausible that it causes mm. any harm. We know for a fact that there are certain frequencies that can cause harm through heating yeah. water-containing tissue yeah. because that's the, the, the absorption uh, frequency of uh, water. Mm. This is the general principle that uh, microwave ovens are based on. Yes. But that's like it. So up until we reach uh, the ionizing radiation, which is several orders of magnitude larger frequencies than we're talking about. Yes. But but yes. we are pattern-seeking animals. But that pattern-seeking can, can go wrong very easily because we misrepresent and misinterpret the patterns. And I think one of the funniest examples is that um, Alex Snap uh, uh, at Forbes uh, found a very exciting uh, thing, and that is uh, when in the 1890s there was a large, the first large-scale modern influenza pandemic uh, happened, possibly originating from Russia. And it was called the Russian flu for that reason. And uh, some people claimed... Racist? (laughs) That that there was a New York Herald uh, run an item, and it was suggesting that the electric light was causing the global influenza outbreak because it was more widespread in the places where electricity was already installed. Mm -hmm. But the causal relationship is different 
So we saw the patterns. Yeah, electricity uh, is here. Flu is coming. There might have be have to be a connection. We forget, or those people forgot, that the places where electricity was first installed were the places with the largest population density, which yeah. predetermines susceptibility to the pandemic, right? So mm. uh, it's just amazing how we think and how we how uh, wrong we can be about these things and uh, how crazy people can get when they believe something. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about magic. Why not? Instead of <laughs> science, silly magical thinking, let's do real magic. <laughs> uh, not too long ago, we reported on the announcement of the Good Magic Awards. It is a joint initiative of Richard Wiseman and the Good Thinking Society to recognize the educational value that magic can hold by fostering an understanding of science and mathematics and help develop critical thinking now the the winners are, have now been announced two winners have been chosen by the judging panel to receive the awards worth a thousand pound each uh megan swan who's the current vice president of the magic circle and she uses magical shows to promote environmental issues which is quite a unique thing i i believe but organizations were allowed to apply as well and the other awardee was breathe arts health research that runs creative educational programs in healthcare and community settings they help children with a hemiplegia which is when one side of your body is paralyzed and they help them by teaching them a few magic tricks to improve their motor skills and boost their confidence, sweet. which is yeah. the loveliest thing. Yeah, that's really sweet. <laughs> yeah. And they also run Breathe Magic Camps every year. So that's all amazing stuff. Congratulations on this well-deserved award to both awardees. And I hope that it will continue, help them continue their, their important work. And hats off to Richard Wiseman and the Good Thinking Society as well for starting this award. I hope it becomes a regular mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Goodly. In conversion therapy news, uh, Germany... <laughs> conversion therapy news. Are we in the business of conversion <laughs> therapy? I know, right? <laughs> as of late. Okay. In our usual segment of <laughs> conversion therapy. For those who don't know what conversion therapy is, it's when uh, religious organizations <clears throat> offer courses for gay people uh, who are attracted to same-sex uh, uh, people uh, to go through the course and convert themselves back to being straight. <sighs> <clears throat> Have you stopped? I guess the underlying assumption is it's like a disease that you can, that can be cured, and so they're curing it by the conversion therapy. So the Germany uh, did a great thing recently. They banned the gay conversion therapy for minors. There were all sorts of dubious uh, programs that claim to cure LGBT plus youths, and they've all been banned. Um, and uh, people who are found in violation of this law will be either fined 30,000 euros or sentenced up to one year in prison. Ooh. So hopefully that will deter them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And their health minister, Jens Spahn, uh, who is openly gay, said, and I quote, homosexuality is not an illness, therefore the term therapy is already misleading, end quote. Yeah. I agree. Yep. So also, uh, as part of this, parents and guardians who force the children to undergo the said conversion therapy can also be charged uh, for viol violating their duty of care. 
There was um, just a quick video interview with someone who, a guy who underwent conversion therapy when he was younger, voluntarily, because he was part of a church in Germany and he was very devout. And as he started going through the puberty and realizing that he likes men, he thought there's something wrong with me and the church was offering the conversion therapy. So he went through this and then isolated himself from all of his gay friends and of course, you know, his love life didn't go anywhere because he wasn't attracted to women. And he actually almost reached the point of suicide. Uh, but, you know, one thing that stopped him at the time was the fact that he couldn't because he was a believer. And if you're a Christian, you commit suicide, you go to hell. And so, but then anyway, so he he overcome all that. And he was coming, you know, he was talking to the uh, to the press from the other side of like leaving the church and being fine with his sexuality. But how many people are not and how many people do end up killing themselves in desperation? And I bet it caused a lot of grief and, and pain. So I'm, I'm very happy to see that that's what's been done in, in Germany. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is a good decision. Oh, but uh, on the other hand, I have to say that uh, Sweden p- p- might not be that uh, fabulous place after all. What? Oh, don't say that. I just heard <laughs> about it. Do you know what Transcolo is, Pontus? No, no. It's a camp uh, that is... Uh, uh, okay, yes, now I get it. Yes, Transcolo. Yes, okay, yeah, yeah. I haven't heard of Transcolo. I've heard of Colo, but not uh, in the trans... For trans people, is it? Yeah, it's young trans youth, mm-hmm. basically, that children under 12 who don't feel comfortable in their own uh, gender identification. And uh, today, this morning, I got into a terrible fight with a couple of idiots who shared a Hungarian website telling about Sweden being the capital of liberal craziness. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm proud of because it of, too. Because yeah. yeah, because of this transcolo <laughs> thing, and they claim exactly. they claim that they try to persuade children to become transgender. Ah, fuck, fuck's sake! And I got furious. That's, I got uh, furious. That's, that's just as hopeless a... as other conversion therapy. You can't. Yeah, oh. and they claim that liberal yeah, okay. child rearing is dangerous to. <laughs> Oh, no. The child's mental development, yes. <laughs> right, okay. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it pisses me off big time. So, Good. And that, that's when I, I, get, I can really lose it, mm. when, when people keep telling lies about stuff like this. And uh, I did. I did lose it this morning. <laughs> okay, good for you. You work hard not to confront people directly and alienate people. But then someone, an idiot comes along and your mind just explodes and you call them out for being idiots. And, <laughs> and then you lost you lost the battle, yeah. basically. Yeah. But some people are idiots. I mean, they can't do anything about it. Yeah, but you, you're not supposed to tell them that. Is it a secret? No, it's not a secret. <laughs> but <laughs> anyhow. Yeah, all right. Fortunately for us, uh, there is someone who is absolutely in his right mind and he's ferociously... Uh, fighting pseudoscience at Ernst. Woo-hoo. He found yet another systematic review that has found homeopathy not being effective in treating something, anything, basically. <laughs> this time, it's psychiatric disorders, mm-hmm. namely major depressive disorder, MDD, 
generalized anxiety disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, also known as ADHD, very popular these days, and premenstrual syndrome. Out of a total of uh, 212 studies they found published any time before October 2018, only nine met all the selection criteria, which is phenomenal. Mm. But it, it didn't have only to do with uh, protocols. It had to do with uh, the, the different disorders that they uh, tried to assess their treatments for. They did the analysis and found a couple of weird things. Out of nine selected trials, eight showed signs of a high risk of bias, <laughs> which is quite something. They found no difference in MDD and ADHD when compared to placebo, while they did find homeopathy to be more effective than fluoxetine in MDD and premenstrual syndrome. Now, fluoxetine is a widely used antidepressant, which is generally considered very effective. And that is rare among psychoactive drugs. Mm -hmm. Homeopathy doing better than that, that is suspicious at best. <laughs> yeah, that's strange. Uh, so, yes, I don't know, but it has some weirdness to it. All in all, they concluded that, and I quote, available data on homeopathy in psychiatric disorders are insufficient to support their use in clinical practice, end quote. They also add that, therefore, they suggest clinicians refrain from recommending homeopathic remedies, of ethical considerations until solid evidence to their efficacy becomes available. That will take some time, I think. Yes. <laughs> and I would add that since there is mounting evidence that homeopathy does no better than placebo in studies with an acceptable rigorous protocol, we should just accept that homeopathy is no medicine. It is quackery and it should be avoided. Yes. And it shouldn't be researched any further because it's just a waste of time energy and money and everything there's no point because there's no. no theoretical background that it could work uh, you know time and time again it's yeah. been proven that it doesn't do anything you, you know as we were talking about uh, people and idiots you know homeopathy <laughs> oh yeah and i say if there were pieces of evidence that are that strongly suggest that it works no matter how implausible it is theoretically if the results were positive and well, convincingly so, with uh, rigorous protocols, that would mean that we should find out how it works. But it freaking doesn't. So no. <laughs> just drop it. Drop yep. it already. Give and, up. Give and, up. It's yeah, research been 200 something. years. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do research mm. on something that is worth doing research on. Yeah. All right. So that is all of the news items that we wanted to share with you. Uh, mind you that We've had them accumulating for two weeks. So I'm eager to find out who's been really wrong lately. Yes, and I have a non-COVID related really wrong today. Great. Congratulations for finding it. <laughs> Although I have to say, you might have noticed that we've had quite a few non-COVID related news items. That's as well. true. Yeah. That is true. And we only mentioned that at Ernst once, so fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but back to this really wrong. I have recently seen lots of spam regarding something called Mendy. Have you seen that too? Mendy, no. Mendy? Mendy? What? M Mendy? What's that? M-E-N-D-I. No, 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 no. <gasps> now, it's a Swedish new product, but okay. I think they're clearly aiming for a worldwide uh, distribution of this product that I'll talk about. Uh, it's a wonderful new contraption 
that is running a fundraiser now to launch an electronic brain trainer. It is uh, really great. Uh, it is uh, the Kickstarter campaign has already received over two million US dollars. Ooh, good for them. Good oh, for yeah, them. But... but what is it? You may wonder. <laughs> what is it? Well, it's some it, dubious thing. <laughs> technically, it looks like some sort of electronic tiara. You wear it on your head, across your forehead, <laughs> more specifically. And according to uh, to the hype, it is nothing less than quote the world's most powerful brain training product, end quote. What you do is you connect this device via Bluetooth to your smartphone. And if I understand it correctly, then you can control a specific app, a sort of a game with just your thoughts. It seems like there's a moving dot or something that changes direction with your thoughts. Uh, so the, the thing actually reads your brainwaves. And that is quite clever if it works but the claims goes way beyond that the benefits are apparently tremendous uh, this is how the company replied to one question on their facebook page and i quote mendy is the first consumer device of its kind to measure blood flow and oxygenation in the prefrontal cortex the pfc Ooh. studies have shown and remember that studies have shown i'll come back to that that re regulating blood flow in the PFC can help to address existing conditions such as ADHD and social anxiety disorder. So they're claiming here now that these are, they can cure medical conditions. And then they go on to say the Mendy headset uses an infrared light to monitor activity in the front of your brain. The app provides exercises to train your brain requiring focus and calm to control the game and subsequently increasing uh, activity in your PFC. That's the prefrontal cortex, mm -hmm. prefrontal cortex. And then a little later they say, while it's not currently possible to target neurofeedback to address specific mental health issues, we recommend Men Mendy for health-conscious individuals who are looking to improve their mental fitness independently or as a result of existing conditions, including focus, relaxation, and energy. So this is apparently good for everybody. <laughs> uh, okay, so I went to their webpage and said, what the hell is this? And uh, it says in big uh, letters on their webpage, real brain training, anytime, anywhere, strengthen your brain instantly, scientifically, and naturally with Mendy. I don't know what's natural with it, and I don't think it's very scientific either. Um, and you should join the Mendy movement, blah, 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 blah. It has a link on the webpage that says, uh, quote unquote, clinics. So, of course, I wanted to say what clinics are, are using this. So you click on that and it says, quote, leading clinics are already using Mendy, unquote. <laughs> and that's it, <laughs> apparently. So, oh, <laughs> okay. super helpful. <laughs> They're a little bit lame. So there is another link then uh, said partnerships. So I clicked on that one to see who their partners are. But the only thing you get then is a mail address to send an email if you want to be a partner. There's actually no list of partners. So what they have is testimonials, testimonials, and testimonials. Uh, like, 
quote, it is the most important thing I have ever bought in my life, end quote. Very convincing. <laughs> wow. Indeed it is. Let's get 10. <laughs> but then I kept digging because I, I didn't give up. So here's some more specific claims. Attention and focus, 40% improvement. Time to fall asleep, 47% faster. Working memory, 36% improvement. Mental processing speed, 33% faster. Sleep needed. 31 minutes less per night. Oh, I would go for that. That sounds wonderful. But then you realize it says, as reported from Mendy users. So they haven't even done any research themselves. This is just feedback from the testimonials. So uh, this wonderful product has now collected $2 million on a Kickstarter project. And you're supposed to wear them and it's supposed to improve your brain somehow. And I'm not buying it. <laughs> uh, so don't buy it. Oh my God. Yeah. This is typical for... for I mean, they, I've seen these kinds of products before. There was one product many years ago that you should put in your... It looked like uh, in-ear uh, headset. You put it in your ear, yeah. but there was no sound coming. It was lights shining into your brain, stimulating <laughs> it. So I'm like, Illuminating the empty, the vast emptiness in the brain. <laughs> yeah, if there's nothing, I guess you can see the light shining out through the other air, but <laughs> other ear. Yeah. Mm. A couple of years ago, a similar thing was a big hit uh, that was about uh, shoving things up your nose <laughs> that emitted one does. that emitted light. Um, oh, it was the same idea, probably. <laughs> So yeah, light therapy for your nose. Yeah, maybe you can get some. Maybe this is for people where there's no light on in the brain. Okay, I get it. I just have this image (laughs) shining to deal with the darkness that's inside. Oh my god, Um, Lucifer! Anyway, the bringer of light. (laughs) Yes, but this one is not the light one. This is this is for reading your brain waves. You do something on this app and you're supposed to be um, much better off curing your ADHD, your social anxieties and sleeping a half hour uh, less per per night, etc. They don't have... I was actually looking for it because I couldn't find that link. Yeah. Because earlier, a week ago, I I was looking through their Facebook um, uh, page and they talked about a study and i couldn't find it now but it was apparently a study and i looked it up and it was not peer-reviewed and it didn't actually concern this product at all so (laughs) yeah so for promoting a sciencey looking gadget with totally unsubstantiated claims and collecting over two million dollars for for this bogus thing mendy gets today's prize for being really wrong. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, where, did, where did you say where they were based again? They, they are a Swedish company, Swedish apparently. Company. But, the, but you have to dig uh, quite a bit into the website until you find that. It, they they try to be mm. make an appearance of being much more international than that. Mm. Okay. Uh, we're, we're all in the wrong business, guys. We should be fundraising for some oh, crap like that. Oh, the products we could invent. Mm. Oh, yeah. 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 Do some brainstorming quickly. Yeah. You know, if I put all the effort that I put into skeptic- skepticism and skeptical activism... If I put it into 
marketing some bogus stuff, I would be rich. You would be. I'm sure of it. <laughs> All right. Never mind. This concludes the show, I think. Mm-hmm. Which means that the only thing that's missing for us to be able to close the show is a nice quote. Yala. Yes, uh, and don't worry, I have a very short quote this week, uh, considering how long the freaking episode was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, From Joseph Joubert, who was a French moralist essayist, remembered today largely for his pensees, I don't know what that is, which were published posthumously. That means thoughts. Yeah, that's that's what I thought it means. Oh, so he had some good thoughts. Yeah, okay, good for him. Anyway, he said, the aim of argument or of discussion should not be victory, but progress. Here, here. The end. Here, here. Very <laughs> yeah. good. Very, very good. Yes. It's like a um, skeptical ars poetica. All right. So, but that really concludes the show. And I'd like to thank both of you, Yelena and Pontus, for joining me today. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in as well. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Пока, пока. Hey, do. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time. But until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. But actually, um, um, <laughs> Last minute research? Uh, no, so so I, I don't have... What a ha- cliffhanger, but actually... I know, I don't <laughs> yeah, have... Yeah, yeah, to be continued. On the 23rd of March... No, nope, that's not what it says. Doesn't say March. <laughs> 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 what does it say? I, I love when Pontus contradicts himself and he goes, Who's written this rubbish? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> French moralist and essayist. Moralist. Moralist and essayist. Remember today, largely. No. <laughs> All right. Um, I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> what, what happened now? I don't know. Did you fall asleep? <laughs> I think, I think uh, we've been recording for such a long time that, that Andrew's forgotten how to end the show. Yeah, I don't know how to end the show. Come on. Oh, yeah. Okay.